Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, all of our campuses, all of you watching online, wherever you are. So glad you're here. Frisco East, how are we feeling today? Good? The sun is out. It's a better Better than the rain, I can tell you that. We need the rain, but that can happen at night and in the sun during the day. I think that's the Lord's will. But um, movement was our student conference this past weekend, Friday night, all day Saturday, up until late last night. And I just got to say to Will Perry, uh, our student ministry pastor uh, across all of our campuses, he's kind of the, the guy in charge of everything, and on down to the youth pastors, to all the volunteers, I just got to say hundreds and hundreds of kids uh, we're here this weekend, and I got to say thank you to all of you who were a part of that, the tech team, the worship teams. Guys, I love you. Such a good conference. Man, man, uh, so I'm so grateful. Um, we're in a series called Philippians. Today, we're ending that series in chapter four. Over the last few weeks, here's where we've been. Got a lot to cover today. Uh, week one, we talked about God's work and our response. And the reality or the the big idea of that, that um, God begins, he continues, and he finishes the work in our lives. It's not God plus us equals salvation. It's God in in, in his love and his grace as his son Jesus paid the price for us. That is the work that has been done. We don't work to get approval. We don't work to get saved. We accept the work that's already been done. Now, our response is not only that, ex- that acceptance, but it is our surrender to say, God, do, what, do in me and through me whatever you want to do. Help me to become more like you, and that's moving to the center of God's purpose for our lives. That was chapter one. Chapter two, we talked about the, the how and the why of relationships. Um, why is it that we are called to love one another? Why is it that Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another? Why, when Jesus was, before he goes to the cross, would pray that we would be one in the church, and in, in the big C church across the world, we get this wrong so much. But the reality is that, that I, I say, let's answer the, the, the prayer of Jesus by loving one another, despite our theological differences, despite our worship style differences, despite whatever, that we just approach each other with love. And that's what chapter two was about. And the why behind that is because our mission matters, because people on the outside of faith are watching those of us on the inside of faith. And it makes a difference when they see love and grace toward another, not fighting and conflict and backbiting. The how that we do that is we follow the example of Jesus. And that, that dissertation in chapter two of the incarnation of Christ coming uh, sacrificing, giving up his divine privileges of heaven, and humbling himself to pay the price for us. That's how we do it. We humble ourselves. We sacrifice. We, we're not entitled. We don't hold on to our entitlement, but we prefer one another. That's chapter two, I know. Chapter three, we talk about spiritual depth. What does it really look like to be deep spiritually? Today, I'm going to do part two of that in that spiritual depth thing, and and just talk about Paul continues kind of that theme in chapter four, that this is what it looks like to really walk with Jesus. 
This is what it looks like to keep working for that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. Chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 4, he just kind of continues this way of practical ways in which we respond to God's love and grace. Practical ways in which we grow in our faith. And so, in our, in our time together, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some uh, observations, four of them, about chapter 4. I'm not going to read every verse uh, of chapter 4, but we're going to give four observations, and then I'll go to the verse in Philippians that that pertains to, and then we'll share the Lord's Supper together. First observation of Philippians chapter 4 is this, uh, joy and kindness for a reason. Now, in chapter 3, Paul starts that chapter, um, or that part of his letter, talking about joy. He says, no matter what happens, be joy-filled. No matter what happens, he says, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord, be full of joy. Chapter 4, verse 4, here's what he says, this is how he says it. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see. So the reason for the joy in chapter 3, he said, was to safeguard your faith. In other words, you are, we, we approach life with a consistent uh, understanding that we can be filled with joy no matter what our circumstances, good or bad, and this safeguards our faith. He says that in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I, I say all these things to safeguard your faith so that you will not be disillusioned when bad things happen. You will not be disillusioned and walk away from your faith when you are persecuted. But you can have a consistent understanding of joy in your life. It doesn't mean we're happy all the time, and it doesn't mean we're sad all the time. It just means that there is a consistent, spiritually speaking, joy in our lives. Now, here's the reason he says it this time. is because let everyone see. So the outside, again, this theme is all through Philippians. The outside looking in, they're looking at the way we handle our challenges. They're looking at the way we handle our victories. They're looking at the way in which we are considerate in all we do. That's why I titled Joy and Kindness for a Reason, because the Lord is coming soon. And our work is to walk in joy always, be kind always, because the world is watching, and because the Lord is coming soon and we have a job to do. Now, let me just stop there and just say how much easier this is to put on the screen than to live. How many have found this to be true in your life when you read Scripture and you're going, man, yeah, that's, that convicts me, but then it's harder to live. So, so in this week, <clears throat> preparing for this message, I wrote a little bit of it at the beginning of the week, and then a little bit of it, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, and then a little bit of it Thursday, and then I got finished, I think, Thursday, but uh, it, it was in chunks. Sometimes it's just all the way through, and sometimes I'm dividing it up and because of time or responsibilities or whatever. So uh, the first part of this was the beginning of, of the week. Monday, I talked about and wrote down, because Paul's talking about it again, joy, and I'm like, okay, I just talked about this. What am I going to say about this? And he says, joy and, and be considerate, in other words, kind. And so... Um, I'm dealing with something uh, outside of church, and I'm dealing with this company, and I'm, I'm, we're, we're going back and forth trying to accomplish something, and um, I, I wasn't getting the response. I wasn't getting the attention. Uh, not, when I say attention, not like, hey, look at me. It was more of like, hey, I'm your client, right? Come on. 
So I sent, how many know your emails can be m- much more um, uh, bold than your person? Yeah, so I sent this email. It wasn't an unkind email, but it was just like, hey, I'm not sure what's going on here. Help me understand how this is working, and, and because I am in the dark, lack of communication, lack of whatever. So, <clears throat> so who, who received the email immediately called. She was so nice. She was saying, hey, listen, I saw your email, and I thought, I thought oh, my goodness, uh, okay, we're not taking care of this guy. So she was so kind. She was, she was walking in the door of her house. I could hear the kids and the dogs barking. She's like, I just got home from work, but I wanted to call to let you know that, you know. So anyway, she was really kind and said, I'm going to try my best to get this taken care of or whatever. And so in the course of this conversation, okay, so remember, I'd just written, you know, uh, uh, joy and kindness for a reason, okay? <laughs> so in the middle of this conversation, she's, she's being so kind, so nice. And I said, in the, listen, when you have to say something like this, you know something's wrong. I said in this conversation, I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm really a nice guy. I <laughs> said those words. And immediately the Lord was like, really? You know what I'm saying? And I wasn't like mean. I, I wasn't, you know, cursing her or whatever. I was just, you know, a little more forceful than I usually am. And maybe not as kind as I could have been. And um, I thought, man, I'm going to get somebody else to teach this because I... Um, immature. And this is easier said than done. It's so much easier to teach you what to do than to live it. So, and I think you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it, it's, it, it matters not only to the Lord, but it matters to our mission that people look at our lives. And it doesn't mean that we don't, uh, you know, have hard conversations. It doesn't mean that we you know, are doormats to the world, and we just, you know, let everybody run over us because we're believers. But it does mean that the reason that we're kind is not just because we're nice people, but the reason is because the world is looking at us, and they judge whether or not they want what we have, and when I say what we have, the Lord, by how we act, our joy and our kindness. Very challenging. The second observation is number two, prayer is greater than worry. Prayer is greater than worry. Here it is. This is one of my favorite passages in in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Now, we've already failed the the test already, right? I mean, just that line. We just go, okay, because how many are worriers? You have worried at some point in your life about something, right? All of us and multiple times. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Now again, this is easier said than done. Because we, all of us, worry. And that's not necessarily um, an unchristian. It, or, or it doesn't mean that we're bad Christians or, or that we're you know, not surrendering to the Lord. It just means that a lot of times what we call thinking contemplating, and some of us have to go, we go for a walk because something has happened, we feel we're getting anxious, our anxiety is rising, so we say, I'm going for a walk. I've just got to go for a walk. I've got to think this out. Or go for a motorcycle ride. I've got to think this out. Or I'm going to go do something. I just got to, I, I need time to think. Okay, so I'm not throwing out common sense, okay? That's not what the Lord does. That's not what Paul's saying. But 
I think we replace worry with, hey, I'm going to go ponder about something. I'm going to go think about something because I've got to figure out what to do. Can I just tell you that's the first mistake? Our first mistake. We, we, Paul says it this way. He says, hey, you can do that or you can pray. And I think many of us say, that, hey, well, hey, I'll pray with me about this uh, because I've got a decision to make, or you guys pray with me about this because of this. And I, I just wonder, I'm not judging, but I just wonder how many of us actually pray or how many of us think about praying. How many of us use the time in which we could be praying and, and just saying to the Lord, these are things, and, and he says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. But many times we're, we're thinking about things because we want and think that we are in control. And Paul says, hey, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So this week, uh, you know, the things happening in Ukraine um, sent out a, a picture on Instagram and, social, and uh, Facebook, just, just a picture of Ukraine and, and just saying, hey, pray for Ukraine. And, um, and I wonder how many of us did that, but I wonder how many of us actually didn't spend one second actually in prayer about Ukraine. And, and then when I, saw, when I sent it, I, I, I watched it, I saw it, and, and then I was like, okay, you know what, I need to pray <laughs> for Ukraine. And, and when you start that, um, it wasn't a long, long thing, but as I prayed for Ukraine and the president and the leaders, I also found myself praying for Russia and the people of Russia. I spent some time there teaching at Moscow Theological uh, Seminary for two weeks in the 90s and loved it. the great people. I found myself actually praying for Putin and praying for the leaders of Russia. And I know many of us are like, oh, I'm not praying for them. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm praying to God rings down fire from heaven. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Many, many of us, we can't pray for our president right now because of you, you, you don't like him. Man, guys, can I, and I say this humbly, and I don't say this because I'm perfect at it, but if you can't pray for your leader, something's wrong here. Because he's called us to multiple times to pray. You don't have to agree. But we pray for our leaders. So, so anyway, praying for Ukraine. Then I found myself praying for Russia. And then I'm praying for Europe and NATO. And then I'm praying for our country. And I'm praying for our leaders. I just wonder sometimes how many times I haven't done that. How many times I've said, hey, guys, church, pray about Prosper Campus. Pray about, you know, whatever. And how many of us really spend that time praying? Now, why this matters and why I'm um, kind of belaboring the point is because there are things that happen when we do pray. You can worry, and how many know nothing happens when you worry? Or you can pray, and how many know Things can happen when you pray. Not many, but what you want, what I want, but things happen when you pray. And here's what happens when we pray. Not the answer to our prayers, not the yes to our prayers necessarily, but here's what happens when we pray. Then you will experience God's peace. That's what happens. Doesn't mean he answers the prayer the way you want him to answer the prayer, but what it means is instead of spending all that time on the walk 
thinking and fretting and worrying and concerning yourself and saying, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What you know, and you make the list of pros and cons. Not wrong to do that, by the way. He's given us a brain. He's given us common sense. And we think about those things. However, many of us stop there and it becomes, it keeps us up night after night, day after day, because we are more worried than we are in prayer. Does this make sense to you? And I'm saying that not to you. I'm saying this to me. We're all in this together. But what happens when we do pray is we experience God's peace. I have a dog, Daisy. She is a lab uh, um, American foxhound uh, mixture guy or girl, and she's she'll be 14 in April. Daisy is a puppy, uh, did not chew on our shoes. Daisy is a puppy, did not go in the backyard and dig, you know, and try to make a thing underneath the fence. Some of you have dogs like that because you are not a Christian parent. <laughs> and no, you know, I'm kidding. But Daisy, I'm serious. Daisy was just a. She's really a good dog. Now, she barks a lot, um, and, and, and much to our chagrin, I mean, everything. We used to live on a golf course, and I mean, and there, you couldn't have a wooden fence, so she saw all the golfers, and it drove her nuts. And she would back and forth, and she has a big bark. You'd think she's, you know, some big dog, and she is kind of big, 60 pounds. But anyway, great dog. Thunderstorms. How many have a dog like this? Daisy becomes demon-possessed. I mean, I'm not, well, I'm joking, but I mean, she goes nuts. If we have anything on the floor, because uh, we'll put it in the utility room because we know the storm's coming. This is before we came to a resolution, but we put it in the utility room, and if we had anything on the floor, trash cans, uh, you know, towels, anything on the floor, man, she would rip it up. I mean, if we were gone, like, like in the thunderstorm happened while we were gone, the whole place would be turned upside down. She would freak out. So we, we, we looked this up. We, we didn't pray. <laughs> we just looked it up. I wish we would have maybe prayed. But we looked up, th- we, we, put, we got a, a vest. You know, have you seen one of those, uh, what, a comfort vest or something? We put a vest on her. Um, no. We... we held her. I would hold her. She'd be shivering. I mean, she's shaking. And I would just, oh, I'm with you. She didn't care about that. You know what worked? Drugs. (laughs) (laughs) See, and I know some of you are going to send me an email. (laughs) Prescribed by the vet. Totally, totally worked. But you got to catch it early. If you're not on time, man, it doesn't work. I think a lot of us are like Daisy. The challenges of, and I say a lot of them, I say, I'm saying me, the challenges arise, the obstacle arises, the, the thing, our kids go crazy, our lives are crazy, finances, relationships, business, whatever. Things are not happening the way we want, and we begin to worry and fret, and we tear our lives apart trying to find an answer. When, would you put that back on the screen? When, when we pray, we experience God's peace. It's like that blanket that actually works. It, it's like when we pray instead of worry, it's like, it's like this comfort that comes over. And we can't understand it. We, we, it's not like we can figure this out. It's, it's the Lord. And he says this in a strategic way. 
His peace will guard our hearts the way we feel and our minds the way we think. Because how many in stressful, uh, especially relational stress, how many make up stories in your head? You have conversations in your head that you make up with somebody else and you say, well, if they'd say this, I'm going to say this and, and I'm going to, and you get yourself all worked up about things that have not happened. I say we, you, but we, we, we have these conversations in our head over and over and over. When we stop those conversations, those thoughts, and we pray, God's peace. When you actually not worry about our country, I don't know where we're going. Well, if you would spend some of that time actually praying, the people of God, of all the people on the planet, should have this right here. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to be weird or I'm not trying to be uh, judgmental. I'm just saying, of all the people on the planet who should walk in joy, walk in kindness, walk in peace, it's us. But there's a reason for that. It's not because we're, not, we're sticking our head in the sand and we're not doing anything, we're not voting, we're not doing anything, whatever, whatever the challenge is. It's just that, way. Hey, we're at prayer. We're in prayer about these things. And so because of that, there is a peace that passes understanding and it guards our emotional part of us and it guards the mental where the war really is. So when we talk about these things, now how many have read through Philippians with me and as you're reading, you're just going, wow, I have a long way to go. And I'm sorry to tell you, but your pastor has a long way to go. I was reading through this and I'm like, holy cow, I should be further along in this stuff. But I find myself reverting like we all do to worry or fret or, or to lack of prayer and trying to control and figure things out. I know this. This is one of my theme, chapter 3 and, and 4 of Philippians probably has more of my theme verses than any other book. I know this. But yet I still find or fall short of actually doing it. And I know if I'm doing that, I'm way more spiritual than you. I, <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. I know we all struggle with this. Does this make sense to you? It's just easier said than done is what I'm trying to say. This is way easier to say or to teach than it is actually to live, but it's so important that we do. Number three, thought fix. Okay, this has a lot to do with what I just talked about. It, you know, that piece that, that guards our minds. The very next verse, chapter 4, verse 8, says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, which is a lie, because he's going to give way more stuff. Okay, he's like a pastor who's teaching on the weekend, and he says, I'm getting ready to close, and 15 minutes later, this is Paul, right? Fix your thoughts. Some of us need to fix our thoughts. Some of us uh, watch the news 24-7. And can I tell you, that, and it's not wrong to watch the news, by the way, but can I tell you, if that's all you're doing, if that's all we're doing, you will be in a cloud of depression. Because rarely what happens is good around the world. There's a few things that they'll report as good. At the end of the 5.30 news, they'll say, and this is a heartfelt story after all the crud we've just talked about. But if you're watching it 
Can I just tell you what that's doing to your spirit? And, and Paul says, hey, guys, along with peace, this whole peace thing, is you fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This, the, the big question here is what dominates your thoughts? Let me say that again. What dominates our thoughts? Colossians chapter 3, I think, verse 1 says it this way. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, your thoughts, your focus on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You know we're just passing through, right? You know this is a temporary place. Peter says it like this, we are strangers and aliens here. We're never going to fit in. Jesus said, in this world, they will hate you. You will have tribulation. This world is not our home kind of thing. And so the, the whole mindset is not that we don't think of, ever think about things here on earth, but the pre, what's, what's the dominant thing that we're thinking about? And a lot of times it's things of earth. And Paul says, hey, I just... I, if you're, you're staying on this theme of joy and prayer and peace and worry, he says, man, it has a lot to do with the way you think. Now, this is not just positive um, uh, thinking. This is actually saying, hey, I'm going to think about the realities of heaven, not just, I'm just going to think about butterflies. This is the realities of heaven. This is a very different thing than just positive thinking. But it matters. The fourth, Paul said he was done, one final thought, but he wasn't. Managing contentment. Now, this is, I hope that you're listening. This is going to, I think is going to help us. I think it's going to help us. The way in which Paul describes this has been misinterpreted. Is that, is that a word? Uh, it's, it's not been thought right about, <laughs> which is not a better way to say it, but Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Is that right? Yeah, I think. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have, so, so Paul started this church. Paul left the church, left it in the hands of elders, and he went around doing what he did, starting churches. He's in prison when he writes this, and the church at Philippi has been sending him money multiple times. Sometimes they could, sometimes they couldn't, but here's the context. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now stay with me, okay, stay with me here. Don't, get, don't prejudge what I'm getting ready to say. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So, Paul, writing from prison, is just saying at the close of his letter, hey, thank you for caring about me, even when you couldn't help me, and then thank you for sending the gifts. It, is, it has been such an encouragement. And just so you know, whether you send the gift or not, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, and that's contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, same chapter, just a little further down. He says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. 
I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me from Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasable to, uh, pleasing to God. And this same, listen, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So let me give you this, this whole context of this from verse 10 to verse 19 is all about financial uh, contentment. So with contentment, let me give you the dictionary definition and my definition tagged on with it. Okay, so this is the dictionary definition. A state of happiness or satisfaction. Okay, so that's what it says in, online, the dictionary. State of happiness or satisfaction. Decent definition. In the context of Paul's letter in chapter 4, whether we have much or little is the context of the, of the verse. The overarching uh, idea of him talking about what he's talking about, being content, secret of every living in every situation, is all about satisfaction, whether we have much or little. Let me ask you some questions, okay? So stay with me. Let me ask you some questions. Number one, do I struggle with being content with what I have currently? I pretty much know the answer to this, because I think we all struggle with the pursuit of more. And let me just say, it's not wrong to have more or, or get more. But I wonder sometimes if we are thinking that that more is going to supply the contentment. Because have you ever noticed that that doesn't supply the contentment? The, the next blouse or the next pair of shoes or boots, the next motorcycle, well, maybe the motorcycle, but the next car or boat or, you know, whatever, how many understand after a year or so, maybe even less than that, you're like, oh man, I should have got the one with whatever. So if we're thinking that the new thing is going to provide the contentment, uh, we're, we're mistaken. Do I struggle with being content with what I currently have? The second question is, am I willing to learn how to become content in any situation? And this is a discipline. This is an art. Paul says, I have learned the secret. Now, in the context of these two, I have one more question, but in the context of these two questions, here's what Paul says. 13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, some of us, many of us misquote this verse. We take this verse out of the context, put it on our wall, put it on our mirror, and think we're going to the Olympics. Can I just tell you at 55 years old, if you can, you can put this on, you can tattoo it on your forehead and you're not going to the Olympics. Some of us, man, we, we put this on everything. I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to be the next American Idol and you can't sing worth a lick. Can I just tell you, you cannot do all things through Christ Jesus. You cannot, you can, you're not, now somebody might prove me wrong at 55, but I guarantee you, you're probably not going to the Olympics, even if you're 20. Now, you might go to the Olympics if you're 20, but not because you can do everything through Christ. Now, I know some of you are mad at me right now. You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, come on, bring it. <laughs> this is the context. The context is financial contentment. And in the, con in the secret of living in every situation, I can do all things through Christ. But guys, you can put this as a motivation all you want to. 
But there are going to be certain things that God has not called you to or willed for your life. You can put this on everything. It won't make a difference. Because this doesn't apply to everything in your life. Does this make sense to you? Don't get mad at me. Just understand the context. We take, that's why when I read Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord plans for, I, I always put the context is that's Israel in, in Babylonian captivity. And that scripture was written to them for them. So I say that almost every time I, I quote that because, because the context of that is written for somebody else, but the principle is that God has a plan. Now you can take that principle out But do you understand what I'm saying? So when we see this, I can do all things through Christ. Well, there's a context to it. And I think we disservice ourselves and Scripture when we don't understand that context. And that context is, I can learn to be content in any situation that I'm in financially. Now notice, before I get to the next question, notice that Paul does not condemn you for having abundance. He says, in fact, he says, I have all that I need right now and more. I have been generously supplied with, with, with what I have now. I have more than what I need. It's not wrong to have more. And in our area, I, sometimes I can, I can um, make it sound like that it's wrong to have things. It's not. Some of us Man, you have a lot of things, great. You have the financial wherewithal to do that, awesome. Are you content in that? Or have there been times in your life when you've not been so well cared for in the sense of like all the wants that you, you have in your life, but you've been supplied for because God supplies all of your needs according to, that's another one that's taken out of context. God supplies all your wants, no, all your needs according to his riches and glory. All of this in context of, of contentment. How many still love me? That's what I thought, but it's true. It's true. Third question, and we're almost done. Do I trust God with my giving and his provision? I can't, I can't get out of this passage without saying that Paul, in this last portion of the, of the, of the book, and this chapter, he talks and thanks them for their giving. He says, thank you for your gifts. Thank you. And there's, there was a lady in, in the church of Philippi who was very wealthy and supplied for Paul on, on multiple occasions. And that's awesome. But I think some of us struggle with this, this um, giving thing because we have a wrong understanding of provision. You think you're your provider. We think we're our provider. Frisco ISD is my provider. PepsiCo is my provider. Frito-Lay is my provider. HP is my provider, or whatever, wherever you work. That's my, I'm my provider. I own my own business. I'm my provider. No, 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 no. You don't even breathe without God. Every good gift comes from who? Father of lights. Guys, when you understand that your and my provision is not me being able to make a deal, not me being able to handle my money in a crazy way because I've been gifted. It's a gift. And when you understand provision, giving comes way easier. Way easier. Do you trust God with your giving? Do you trust God in His provision? 
things. He provides, we give. He provides, we give. Philippi, thank you for your gifts. God will supply all your needs according to his glory. When you're generous, I know this is hard, right? You're like, well, I don't like that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the context. We've got to look at this in context. 419 says this. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. It's all in the context of contentment. All in the context of generosity. That's just the bottom line, guys. So, so the misconception of this contentment, it, it, this is just a spiritual depth thing. When we can learn the secret of living in every situation, there was a time in our lives when we couldn't, I mean, I remember days of peanut butter sandwiches for dinner. I was a youth pastor. I made $800 a month. Some of you make that in an hour. <laughs> and the great. We were young and dumb and just doing things that we probably couldn't afford to do. And I remember many times having uh, peanut butter sandwiches for dinner, multiple days. And I wonder in those days, was I, did I lack gratitude in those days? Was I not content now that I have more and I can eat a ham sandwich instead of peanut butter? I love peanut butter. Does this make make sense to you? It's all about contentment. That's all I'm saying. This is spiritual depth, guys. That we can walk in joy, that we can walk in peace because we pray instead of worry, that we can fix our thoughts on things that are above, not not just what's going on here on earth. If we can learn to be content in every situation, guys, it changes our life. But it not only changes our lives, it changes the people who are watching us. Because we're a people that people on the outside of faith look at and go, something different about them. So let me go through chapter 4 just real quick, and we're going to take uh, the Lord's Supper together. Here's the chapters and the big idea. Chapter 1, God is working. Here's the verse, verse 4, 6. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns or Christ Jesus returns. That's a, that's a big idea for me. All these are mine. That's the big idea for chapter one. Chapter two, a little bit different. I know it's about relationships, but stick, stick with me. Shine bright in this world. Here's the passage. Do everything without complaining and arguing. That's relational. So that no one will criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of people who are unkind, people who are selfish and inconsiderate and grumpy. We live like a shining light to a world that is lost. Chapter 3, spiritual depth. And he says this in in verse 15 of chapter 3, let all who are spiritual, spiritually mature agree on these things. And none of these maturity has anything to do with spiritual theological degrees or scripture memorization. They're all just practical ways in which we spiritually walk in joy, we spiritually walk in confidence, we spiritually walk in uh, applying ourselves to grow in our faith. These things, these things matter to the Lord. 
And in chapter 4, big idea, spiritual depth, practical ways in which we show that we are walking with Jesus in a very deep way. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Again, I know I just read it. Be full of joy or always be full of joy in the Lord. And the reason I say this is the reason that we can be full of joy is because we are content, we are fixing our thoughts, and we are praying as opposed to worrying and the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts so that we can actually be full of joy. Not happiness, but joy. A consistent spiritual joy. Do you see how this works together? And so my hope for you and my heart for you is that as we take the Lord's Supper, and in that scripture, remember the Lord is coming soon, is a great segue into closing this book, study that we're in, and receiving the Lord's Supper together. So if you could take that across your campuses, and ushers, could you bring me one? I, I uh, left mine in the office. And if you could raise your hand if you weren't served across all of our campuses. And thank you, man, just throw it to me. I'll catch it, I promise. I'm good. Oh, man, you're so kind. Thank you. Um, you don't have to be a member here at Hope. You just got to be able to open the bread. And <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. You don't have to be a member of our church. It's important that you would be a follower of Jesus because this is a sacred moment. This is a moment in which we are acknowledging the work that Jesus did on the cross. And that last line that we just read, remember the Lord is coming soon. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Paul says, as often as you do this, as often as as you remember the Lord's Supper, you are announcing his death until he returns. So when we take communion, there's two things that are happening. There's many more, but there's two main things. We're looking back at what Jesus did. He came, sacrificed, and he offers forgiveness for the atonement of our sin through his blood. Reconciling us to the Father. And then we look forward to his coming. We look back at what he's done. We look forward to his return. So as we close Philippians, if you're like me and have read, uh, and obviously I've been studying it, and so I'm reading it over and over and over and over again, and I'm like, man, the more I read, the, the more I realize how far I have to go. And I think you probably think the same thing. But be of good cheer, because we're not accomplishing some of the spiritual depth to be approved by God. This is what approves us. The work of Jesus, not the actual bread and cup, but the work of Jesus. So across all of our campuses, online, if you get a cracker and some juice or wine, water, whatever, join us. As you think about we clo- the closing of Philippians, and those areas where the Lord is spotlighting on you, maybe some of the things we talked about today, fixing our thoughts, worry versus prayer, Joy, kindness, contentment. What area is he? Maybe it's all of them, like me. And so it's like a big spotlight. But what areas is the Lord speaking to you? And as you take of the Lord's Supper, the bread, the cup, say, God, man, I want you to be glorified through my life. Teach me your ways. Pray that as we take the Lord's Supper. God, We bless the bread.
we bless the cup. We look back on what you have done for us. And we look forward to your return. We eat this bread and we drink this cup knowing that we are made right with you because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. And eating this bread and drinking this cup is remembering, humbling ourselves before you. We don't save ourselves, but you have provided in every way. Those of us that are far from you today, God, we humble ourselves and surrender to you. We believe, we bow our knee, we confess with our mouth that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are who you say you are. For those of us that are already believers, help us make adjustments to live more in the center of your will. Bless the bread, bless the cup as we take. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Let's take the cup together. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done right here, right now, in our lives, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.